song uh, to, to, uh, uh, to engage us with. And if you're wondering what the word woa means, I haven't got a clue. But it's, it's the 21st century hallelujah. Okay, so, um, so we, uh, we just love that song, Julie, and the band. And you led us so well tonight. And we appreciate that. Now, we're into our last but one message on this autumn series of God First. And the, the keynote verse is there on the screen for you, Matthew 6.33, the words of Jesus. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. And uh, Christian opened this message up by using these containers to remind us that the Lord needs to be at the center of all that we do. The context of Matthew 6 is Jesus speaking in what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. And he was speaking to the people about priority. He was talking about the kingdom. The kingdom's sort of not some blob that's going to come out of the sky, friends. The kingdom is when King Jesus rules over our lives. The kingdom comes to us. The kingdom is within us. There's a day coming when it's going to come in absolute fullness. But the kingdom is already at work. When we invite Jesus, not only to be our saviour, to take away all the things that we've done wrong and give us a new start, but to rule in authority over our life. Life works best when he's made the king. And Jesus said, if I'm able to look after the lilies of the fields and the birds of the air, how much more am I able to take care of you? So don't worry. Don't get overly concerned or overanxious. But seek first me, and then these things too will be added to you. A wonderful priority coupled with a great promise. And out of that keynote message that Christian brought to us, we've been looking at a number of themes that we want to increasingly put God first in across the life of Arena Church, both corporately and also individually. So we've looked at God first in giving, in connecting, in serving, in engaging. And last week we talked about God first in gathering. There is something that God does when we gather together that he doesn't do anywhere else. And we don't want to run to the debate, friends, negatively of saying we don't need to do it because we emphatically believe in Arena Church that we do need to come together. We're not defining church simply by this Sunday evening gathering. We're not saying it begins, uh, continues and finishes at 7.30 tonight and that's it. We are setting ourselves up for Monday to Saturday, as Josh led us in the other week, in engaging with our community. But we need this. We need this. And tonight, um, we're going to talk about God first in partnering. God first in partnering. I want to read two verses to you from the New Testament. Firstly, the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 5 and verse 7. And I'll give a context for the story in a moment. But here's a description of the disciples of Jesus. So they signaled their partners in the boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And then a little later on in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 23, here's the words of uh, the apostle leader Paul who wrote lots of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, as for Titus, he is my partner and co-worker among you. Partnering. Partnering is a close bedfellow of gathering. And we reminded ourselves that in gathering, we need to do it regularly, enthusiastically, and expectantly. But it drives deeper than that, 
and it flows wider. And in the moments that we've got tonight, I want to encourage our hearts with exactly that. You see, let me just go back to Luke chapter 5 for a moment because some of you will be aware of the story. Jesus is preaching and teaching the word of God. Not from a normal pulpit, but from a boat. The people are on the shore, hanging on to his words. The Bible says in the authorized version, friends, that the common people heard Jesus gladly. If ever we make the good news too complicated for ordinary people to hear it, we've missed the point. Because Jesus never did. The common people, if you like, the working classes, the ordinary people of the day heard Jesus gladly. And this good news message, friends, is for all of us to understand. Little children can give their lives to Jesus, and people in their 70s and 80s can find a revelation of the Lord who loves them, and who cares for them, and who wants them to know a hope, Christian. So here we are with Jesus speaking from the boat, and then he says to Simon Peter, I wonder if you'll let down the nets for a catch. Bear in mind that Jesus' trade was carpentry, And the disciples who he was wooing to himself were fishermen. And uh, Peter says, Lord, we've we've toiled, we've worked all night, we haven't caught a thing. And uh, in that comment, there was a sense of deflation and disappointment. I also sensed that there was a, a temptation to be a little bit disobedient to Jesus. It went something like this, Lord, you've got to be joking. We're tired out. We know that the best time to fish in this particular culture, is in the dead of night. We've toiled all night. We've caught absolutely nothing. Now at what seems an inappropriate and ineffective time, you're asking us afresh to cause the nets to go down deep. And in the New International Version, there are seven words that turn the whole story around. B-B-Y-S-S-I-W. But because you say so, I will. All that every Christian would live right there. Because, friends, there are too many of us that take God on and think we're going to win. That think that we know better than the master. That think that we know what is appropriate in the course of actions for our journey of faith. But because you say so, I will. They obeyed the Lord. They operated faith. And the result was an incredible, overwhelming supply of fish. When it shouldn't have happened It did. God loves to do that. When everybody says it can't happen, God says, watch out. It can. And we go to verse 7. Because the supply of fish, the catch was so great, they called to partners and said, come and help us. Now, some time ago, we did a series in Arena called Big. Big God. One of the things we talked about was a big catch. A big catch. I get a bit frustrated, friends, where churches and church leaders are ever pushing back on what God wants to do. Because God is looking for churches in this nation that will position themselves for a big catch. There are so many churches saying, we haven't got the workers. We won't be able to cope. This would need to change. We won't be able to absorb everybody. But in Acts chapter 2, there were 120 people that got filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, tell you what, let's win the world. And Peter stood up with the 11, and all of a sudden, the church became 3,120. And by the time we get to chapter 6, Dr. Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, with, who would be a man of detail, gave up. It went up in smoke. He stopped counting. 
Because all he described the church as was a multitude. And Bible commentators believe that by that time there were 20,000 believers in Jerusalem. And somehow they got absorbed, friends. And somehow the church grew. Now please hear me, Christian, myself, the eldership of the church. We're not saying that we shouldn't put systems in place that help people grow and be part of the church. But friends, let's not think we've got to get it all right before God can give us a great catch. And it works best when we can call other people in the church as partners to say, will you help us? Will you help us? You see, in our great cities of our nation, we need churches of 10,000 people. In our market towns that we represent in Ilkeston and Mansfield and wherever God's going to take us, we need churches of a minimally 1,000 people. I tell you what, friends, then the MPs will listen to what we've got to say. Then there'll be a move into what God's going to do. Then they'll come, as the Bible prophesies in Ephesians 3, and ask us what we carry, which is the many varied colors of God's wisdom, which is the expression of the purpose of the church in these days. A big catch. And then Paul describes Titus. You know, it makes me laugh when I listen to people talking about teams today. I say it very respectfully. I see very few teams working in Christian leadership. I mean real teams. We've, we've got people talking about a number two. It's nowhere in the Bible. Can't find. And by the way, if you've got a church of a thousand, you're going to have a number three and a number four and a number four. You're going to grow the team. The time you get to be sort of called number seven, you really feel value, don't you? You know, it's just not there. Executive associates, what does that mean? What does that mean? Lackey, you know. You see... All this does is masquerade for people not really doing team. Because Paul, outside of Jesus, probably the greatest apostolic gift that ever lived in the earth, didn't define Titus as anything else but a partner and a co-worker. That's how it works. But you see, we love prestige. We love status. We love a title in front of us. We love a capital A apostle approach to life. It's not there in the New Testament. Small A. Because it's, it's not an office, friends. It's, 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 not a, it's not a title. It's just a function. Partnering and co-working together. And uh, what does this word partner mean? Well, in the original language of the New Testament, which was written in Greek, it gives us some insight into what partner means. We might have an understanding of it. We might think a partner in a relationship. We might think a partner in a business. But he's speaking here about a word called koinonos, which sits very close to the word which we get in Acts 2.42 when it says they devote themselves to fellowship, which is koinia. And it really means to share in common, or if I can use the word, having a commonality. You may be on a journey and are in a church that says, What's it, what's it about these people? Well, the reality is we're an ordinary group of people that have found an extraordinary God that's changed our lives forever. We want to serve and worship Jesus Christ in the power of the Spirit. And we have a common cause to which we come to in togetherness. And we believe that's positioning us for all that God wants to do in these days. I get people talking to me and Christians at times as though the church is us. In terms of, well, that's your problem, you know. And we sort of just come along. Friends, it's not my church, it's our church. It's not me doing it, it's us doing it. I mean, if it's just going to be me, we're never going to cut it. 
But all the incredible gifts that sit around the church, partnering together. Wow, something begins to shift. Someone says that a church are people of the same vision and values, heart and kindred spirit. They share a common commitment to see God's kingdom extended. And I encourage us tonight, friends, to believe this, to support this, to engage with this, to commit to this. And yes, going back to Matthew 6.33, to prioritize it, to seek God first in partnering. Now, we've got a booklet which we're very happy with in terms of church. We often, if people are on a journey, perhaps finding a church or they've come to faith, we say, how about you taking that on? Because it gives some insight into Arena Church. With respect, if I got up and says, well, for the next 10, 15 minutes, I'm just going to talk about this. Shoulders are sack. I think, well, I hope he gets on with it. Because I don't want to just speak the booklet. I want to make the booklet come alive in the next 10 or 15 minutes. But here is the principle of our partnership journey in Arena Church. We're not saying we're the only church that's tapped into this. Many churches are using that empowering word now rather than membership. Not a club to belong to where you get your vote once a year, but a dynamic partnership where we commit together to working for a common cause in Jesus' name. In this booklet, you will get the focus of the church, which is to go and grow and to love and serve our communities. You will get the heartbeat of the church. What makes Arena Church tick? It's there. What makes it tick? And then there's some main planks of commonality that go through the brochure. Community, hope, passion, the impossible, discipleship, and generosity, which Christian mentioned tonight. It's not my job to go through all those tonight. Simply to say in a moment, I'll refer to one of them. But also to say that we're unashamedly in Arena Church passionate. Not passionate, weird, or freaky, or odd. Not so passionate that people say, I don't want to go to that church again. They're, they're, they're not cases. Not that sort of passion. But a passion for believing what we mean and living what we mean. We had a couple come to our church some time ago. Christian will remember the conversation with them. Lovely couple. They said, we love Arena Church, but we're leaving. Oh. Well, why? Not because of any other reason than you're too passionate. You're too passionate. And so we're going to a church that is less Christian. Well, what do you want us to do with that? (sighs) See, I get passionate about a number of things. Half past four yesterday afternoon, we were losing again. I was begging Jeff Stelling to give us a goal. And it wasn't working. So we went on to BBC final score, 1-1. Back to Sky News, (laughs) 2-1. Wonderful. Nothing compares with this though, friends. I'm not passionate for Jesus because I've got the privilege of being called to serve in ministry. I'm passionate because he took hold of my life as a lad. And I realized that the best way to live life, friends, is with him at the very center of all that I do. I'm thankful that I've been able to do a journey with Sharon in that journey of putting God first. I'm thankful that my kids have pitched into it. We're nothing special, 
but we're passionate about the kingdom of God. And I want to say, friends, this church is unashamedly and unapologetically passionate. And so we've committed to a journey. And in Psalm 84 and verse 5, it says, Blessed are those who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. I want to give you three things about partnership as we move into the second part of what I want to say. And I want to use that word commonality just to really drive it home. Number one, our commonality is from a purpose, past. There's been an expression of Pentecostal witness in Mansfield for many decades where people have given their lives to establishing spirit-filled contexts. And uh, Baltimore Street, of course, is very close to the journey of Arena Church. It's not the only Pentecostal expression in the town. And we thank God for all that he's done. We honor people, friends, that have literally laid down their life for the gospel. You see, somebody always has to start the first meeting. Somebody always has to have a leap of faith to say, you know what, we're going to start that Sunday. Don't know if anybody's going to come. Don't know whether we're going to be able to pay the bills. But we're starting. And we thank God for that. We honor the past. And when we went on the journey of the partnership document, we were very, very careful to honor the past. You may remember that just over a year ago when we had our first celebratory service in this building, having been in Field Mill for three and a bit years, having been up on the bar area where we couldn't see a thing because there was no lights, and then eventually, I don't know, I preached. I mean, you know... (laughs) And, uh, and then we were here. Mayor Tony was with us and other dignitaries. But there were two people that represented the past, Roy Eccleston and uh, Robert Britton. We deliberately brought them to the meeting. We honored them. There, there were others that were invited but couldn't make it. But we wanted to say thank you. Thank you for sowing in. Roy now in his 80s. And we said thank you to people Pastors, leaders, elders, workers, followers, volunteers, some now with the Lord in eternity, but have sown into the journey. But so often churches attempted to live there, and they bring no redefinition to what the church in the locality is meant to be. Did you know, friends, that 70% of all churches that are planted never celebrate their centenary? And one of the reasons is, one of the reasons they run out of steam And lose their reason for being is a lack of purpose. So we need seasons of renewal, of reappraisal, of redefinition, of repurposing. And that prefix re speaks about again, anew, afresh, another. And in 2007-8, early days of my journey with Christian in Arena, we brought a few people together And we sat down and said, what's the church going to look like over the next number of years? What are we here for? What's it about? We waited on God and we we had numbers of meetings. And we did what the prophet Habakkuk encouraged us to do in the Old Testament. We wrote down the vision. So we articulated it, but we also documented it. And we put it on record. And by the way, since then, we have repurposed the document. So it sits with where we are now. And it represented a journey. Some of the people that uh, were rah-rahing about going on that journey sadly didn't follow through on it. And at times it was costly and painful. But we realized there was no turning back. 
One person says that every great church discovers its destiny and reason for existence. And we have a confidence in our heart. It's a confidence with humility tonight, friends, that we have a reason for being here on a Sunday night. And we have a reason for having a presence in this town. Because we believe it's part of the will of God for his purpose for us and for the church in these days. A commonality from a purpose past. But a commonality in a purpose present. We all like to read the stories in the books of revivals and moves of God's. And I want to tell you, friends, that if ever you get hold of those books, don't short-circuit them and read the last chapter when it all broke out and thousands got saved because you need to realize about the cost that got people to there. But Arena Church is living in a current reality. And part of it is his expression to partnering. Let me go back to one of the power words of earlier that's found in the booklet, Impossible. Christian went to a a huge, thousands-strong church while he was away on holiday in the States. And we could think of Willow Creek and Saddleback and uh, other churches around the the earth that are doing amazing things. And some amazing churches that don't get any publicity, by the way. But fantastic churches. Isn't that great? And miss what God is doing right in the doorstep of our church. Because we said that one of the one of the One of the values, one of the principles of us is the impossible. Let me read some words from this document. Arena Church will not live comfortably. We will live for the impossible. It always seems impossible until it's done. It's our passion to live by faith and to keep pressing ahead into the unknown. We believe in team. So through a team of impossibility thinkers, we are believing for extraordinary success. What does that look like? Building a church that believes for and prays for turnarounds, breakthroughs, and miracles. Believing that God wants to multiply and increase our capacity to serve, to bless, influence, and pioneer far beyond our human capabilities. Living with courage and boldness and faith in the whatever and wherever of life. Seeing communities transformed locally, nationally, and internationally by partnering with others. Brothers and sisters, it's, it's impossible that we should have a community hub at Elkiston, a 7,000 square foot unit, a quarter of a mile around the corner from our worship center on Rutland Street where over the last four or five years, we've now helped 1,400 people and given away 8,500 food parcels at the cost of tens of thousands of pounds. And it started with Christian bringing in a pallet. I don't know where the person that brought the pallet brought it in from, but I tell you, there were so many splinters out of it, it was dangerous. It was a horrible pallet, and I remember a few bags of Tesco shopping going on the pallet. That's where we started. And we says, God, we're believing for the impossible. And Lisa Harrison's now got 50 plus volunteers every week that sow into that. It's impossible. It's impossible that we should be here tonight in one of the most iconic old buildings in Mansfield as a community of believers. Buying this building for £171,000 at an auction at Sheffield United's football ground. My London friends say to me, isn't there one in front of that? No, they need to get in the real world. It's the Midlands. Come on. It's impossible. 
Do we negate hard work? Guys doing a day's work and then coming up here to do a day's work for weeks on end? No. We've needed all that. But God's done it, friends. Right before our eyes. It's impossible that a church that seemingly is in the backwaters, that sits between two great cities in the East Midlands, should have the BBC Panorama program ring them up and say, we'd like to do a program on you. But they've done it. Christian's been to Radio Derby so many times now, he's got his own seat. (laughs) They love him. They're always asking the questions. Christian, why are these things happening? We've got the BBC East Midlands on to Lisa last week saying, we want to come again, Lisa. We've never asked to go on anything. It's impossible. And you're here tonight saying, can God use me? He absolutely can. And we're believing, friends, in Mansfield that we're going to continue to go forward. And I just felt a word of my heart tonight, particularly for our context here. Let's not be content with shallow. Let's go deep. Let's not be content with what we've got. God wants to do something more. He wants to raise up great kids' works here. He wants to see a generation of young people here. He wants to see a great community project here. He wants to see people that can't read and write be able to do so here. Let's not be content with the shallow waters. Let's continue to let the nets go deep. It's impossible. But with our gods and with a spirit of commonality, friends, nothing is impossible. Nothing. As we went out of the service last week, one of our guys talked about the principle of synergy. His definition is the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And when we get a synergy out of our commonality, it becomes supernatural. Deuteronomy talks about one putting a thousand to flight, but two putting ten thousand to flight. And we begin to operate, friends, in a, in a, in a principle and in an expression of faith that is way beyond the natural. And thirdly, a commonality to a purpose. Future. Here's the question that frightens a lot of churches around the earth, friends. What is your future? Because as they look ahead, they can't see one. The average age of the congregation, way above the average national age of the nation they live in. A paucity of gifts. A shallow commitment. I believe, friends, that there's something different that sits over Arena Church. I'm so proud of our young generation of people that are trying to live it right and are committing to following the Lord and turning up and pitching up every Sunday. And I believe, friends, that there's something great that's going to come out of many of these kids that's way beyond the natural, that's going to serve us well in the future. Because it's what we're thinking about. We're not just thinking about surviving, but thriving. We're not just thinking about the present, but we've got our eye on the future. We meet with people, friends, with a next generation intention about us. So that people can come and pick up the battle uh, for the context of this church and take it to where it's never been. We often confess over our young leaders that they'd be a thousand times better than we could ever be. And we believe it. The future's bright, friends, not because it's orange, but because it's, because it's bathed in koinonos, all things common. And so one final verse, Paul writing to the Philippian church. The only church in the New Testament that's quoted as helping him practically, right at the end of chapter 4, he's in prison in Rome. 
didn't get three square meals a day then, even in prison. People took things to him. And he said, out of that generosity, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. A priority to help a brother, a promise that all their needs would be met. I tell you, if we keep being generous, friends, if we keep putting money in those red buckets every week, every month, as God leads us, we can continue to believe for God to supply all of our needs. I've even spoken to people this week that have given way beyond what was natural, way out of their human resource. It's been incredible. And people are doing it. And we understand there's a, a wisdom in that and a balance. And we're not asking you to get into debt unnecessarily, anything like that. But people taking leaps of faith with a generous heart and believing God. And we confess again, Lord, tonight that you will provide all of our needs according to your riches in glory in Christ Jesus. And chapter 1, Paul says, I always pray with joy, speaking about the church, because of your partnership, your commonality with me in the gospel. At the end of this brochure, we have a count me in page. Thank you for everybody that signed it. You may say, well, I've not heard much about it. No, but it was a hard expression. And you remember Christian leading us in that not so long ago as well. And I just want to ask you this week perhaps to go home and reread the, the booklet. Let it wash over you again and say to God, God, I'm counted in afresh. I'm with this journey. We're reminded the other night that we're always sowing into something that God wants to do in the future. And the little accusing voice will always tell us it's been a waste of time. The progress is slow. The obstacles are great. But friends, God wants to do something absolutely amazing. And right at the end, alongside that count me in page, is the final quote from the document. I'd like to read it. It's over 100 years old, and it was from uh, U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt. He gave a speech in Paris, 1908. He says, it's not the critic who counts. Or the man who points out how, how the strong man stumbled. Credit belongs to the man who really was in the arena. So it was a prophetic word over us. His face marred by dust, sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly, who errs to come short and short again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. It is the man who actually strives to do the deeds, who knows with the great enthusiasm and knows the great devotion, who spends himself on a worthy cause, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement and who at worst, if he fails, at least he fails while daring greatly. So his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know defeat nor victory. Brothers and sisters of Arena Mansfield, what a joy to be with us tonight. What a joy to come again to the word of God, to worship the Lord. And to realize that if we've never stepped into doing life with others, it starts with a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Recognizing our wrongs have separated us from him. But in Jesus, he bridged the gap. He made the way. And in a moment or two, Christian's going to bring an invitation for people to respond to beginning a journey of following the Lord. And it's not just the stop, friends, there. It's just the start of coming together with a community of ordinary people that sometimes get it wrong, including the leaders, who sometimes mess it up, who sometimes have to pull back on perhaps decisions we've done. And we'll continue to do that and live with a high integrity and transparency before people. But to come together with a people of God that say, count me in.
I want to be part of a body. I want to be really in fellowship, in partnership, so that I might grow in faith and find my place in the body of Christ. Because together, friends, we can always do it.